There is something that Jenny can say to me that always, always, always grabs my attention. And that is this. I miss that, Max. Let me say that again. I miss that, Max. That's usually an indicator that I've just been laughing, having some fun, and not too serious. It's an indicator that I'm being the Max that she met and fell in love with, that she dated, uh, the guy that she married, that Max, that best version of me. Um, Now, there are some negative ways that she'll say that. Sometimes it's said negatively, uh, and it's said this way, who are you? Or what have you done with my husband? Or even worse, I don't like who you're becoming. That always stings when she pulls that one out of the bag. And those are indicators that I have just been really grumpy and angry. I have been too serious. I have been no fun. I have been a bad version of myself. That's not really the real me. It's just a me that comes out when I'm languishing in life. Um, Those of you who are younger and are here today, if you're 18, 20 years old, I would encourage you to take some notes over the next five weeks because what I'm going to talk about is something that really trips up a lot of people in their 30s and 40s and 50s in life. And if you can stave this off and really learn who God has made you to be uh, and walk in that and stay connected to God, you can save yourself a bucket load of heartache in your 30s and 40s, and just misery and therapy sessions. I mean, think of the money saved right there. That's $100 a shot once a week. I mean, come on. That's, you could go to Tahiti, okay? So take notes. In life, in life, in life, you and I get a glimpse of the real, our, our real selves. You, you get a glimpse of the real you. When, when you go out and you say something encouraging, really encouraging to someone, and they respond, and you see their spirit open up, and they thank you, when you're a doer and you bake that casserole for a friend in need and you know you've just done, or uh, when you demonstrate patience to a three-year-old. I mean, come on, there's God right there in the flesh, patience with a three-year-old. John Ortberg says that these are signposts to your true self. They're indicators of the person that God made you to be, that better version of you, that best version of you that God wants you to be regularly and consistently. This series is all about how to flourish. What does it mean to flourish in life? How do you really live rather than languish? And that's what I want to be talking to you about over the next five weeks. I believe people flourish when they're living life the way God meant life to be lived. People flourish when they own who God made them to be and they walk and live that out regardless of what other people think, regardless of, you know, the circumstances they find themselves in. People flourish uh, uh, when they're simply being the person that God made them. Part of it is discovering and owning who you are. Part of it is learning how to stay connected to God. Um, And... And as I'm talking about this, I know some of you, the more cynical ones in in, in the gym today, you're thinking, that's not how anybody lives life, Max. Come on now. And you know what? Uncle, you're right. A lot of people don't. And that cynical part of you that says, well, you know, no, people don't do that. Yes, uh, true. A lot of folks today, too many folks are stressed out. They're tired. They're languishing. They're self-obsessed. They're just surviving life. They're not really living. So, uncle, you're right. But that's not how life can be, and nor is it how life should be. 
I want to let you in on a spiritual secret. And the spiritual secret is this. You can flourish with God's help. It is possible. Okay? It's what Red in the movie Shawshank Redemption uh, meant when he said, get busy living or get busy dying. Right? Okay? Um, and, it, and so what we're going to talk about is what it really means to live. And to do that, I want to flesh out a passage in John chapter 10. Okay? John chapter 10. And that's where we're going to be today. This is a teaching that Jesus gave um, to big crowds. And in this, in this passage, he's, he's uh, talking about shepherds and sheep. And on one level, he's talking about spiritual leadership in John chapter 10. On another level, he's talking about a metaphor for life. And so uh, let's just get into it. John chapter 10. Um, and uh, this metaphor, by the way, of shepherds and sheep is used time and again throughout the Bible. Uh, let me just give you a little snippet, and this is from Isaiah 40, okay? Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with the powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. This is a picture of God and how he leads his people. In the Old Testament, you have Moses and David referred to as shepherds. Why? Because they literally were shepherds, and they were shepherd leaders. And sheep in the Old Testament, sheep are the Israelites, God's people. Well, fast forward you know, a few millennia, and then you've got Jesus as the good shepherd, and then Peter's called one, the apostles and pastors. And the church is referred to as sheep, as a metaphor, as part of this metaphor in the New Testament. In fact, today... Among pastors in the United States, it's still standard to hear them refer to their congregations as their flock. Pastors still refer to it that way, okay? So let's, let's unpack this metaphor, uh, and, and let's look at the first three verses of chapter 10 uh, of, uh, in the book of John. He says this, Jesus is speaking, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The setting for these three verses is a sheep pen. The sheep pen is a standard thing that was used by Palestinian shepherds. It would have been a wall, waist high, that was topped with very thorny branches and it wouldn't go around almost all four ways. There would be a small opening at one end, one part of the square, uh, that the sheep would come in and, and, and leave out. So one way in, one way out. And at night, the shepherd would either put thorny bushes there to keep out wild animals and bandits and whatnot, or he would personally stand or lay down a sentry right there at the gate. Um, why is this important? Well, the desert is a dangerous place if you're a sheep. If you're a sheep, you're not smart enough, no offense, to know where to go for water and food. You just wander about. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Help me. I need water. I'm dying of thirst. Okay? That's more of a goat, but I can only do a goat, so. <laughs> okay? You get what you get, okay? Sheep can't find water and food on their own. They can't. 
And then there are bandits out there that want to steal sheep and eat them. And then there are hungry predators that want to do the same. And so it's, the desert's a dangerous place for a sheep, okay? And remember, if this is a metaphor for life, you and I are what? Sheep. So for those of you that are paranoid, congratulations, you are right. There are people out to get you. <laughs> life is dangerous, okay? And, and Jesus is saying as much here in this passage. Life is dangerous, It's a desert, and if you're a sheep, you can't find water and food on your own. You need protection from predators. It's bad, okay? So, verses 4 to 5. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks. Jesus is talking of the shepherd now. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from him because they don't know his voice. Jesus is now spelling out how a shepherd leads. A shepherd, a good shepherd, doesn't have a whip and isn't driving his sheep behind them, okay? If you can picture a little flock ahead, there's no mush. Get, you know, come on, Susie, faster. No, that's not what he's talking about. A good shepherd is in front of his sheep, and the sheep follow because they hear his voice. It's a much kindler, gentler, to borrow a phrase from George Bush, way of shepherding, Okay? Um, where does the shepherd lead his sheep? I know this is basic stuff, but this is really important to get what Jesus is really talking about. If it's a metaphor for life, where does the shepherd lead sheep? And during the day, where does the shepherd take them? To food and water. At night, what does the shepherd do? Keep them safe. Metaphorically, as you and I are following Jesus, as we're letting him lead us, Jesus will lead us to places that nourish our soul and keep our soul safe from the thieves that want to kill, steal, and destroy. Let's get into this a little further. Uh, Verse 6, it says this, Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand. Thank God. Okay, so he explained it to them. And Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep didn't listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find what? Good pastures. The thief's purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Let me say that again. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Those of you who are old enough know this is when Jesus says, I came that they may have life and life abundantly. Okay? So let's unpack this a little bit more. Jesus says two times, I am the gate. I am the way to safety, salvation. I am the way to truly live. And then he's making it clear that following Jesus will lead you where? To green pastures so that it will nourish your soul. And then he does this contrast, and he talks about thieves and robbers who are different from him. On one level, Jesus has in mind the Pharisees, okay? The Pharisees of Jesus' day, he says in another another part of the Bible, you place heavy burdens on people that crush them. They feel condemned. They feel paralyzed before God, and you won't lift a finger to help them. You false shepherds, you. And he's talking about the Pharisees. 
Um, at another level, I think he's talking about what John Artberg fleshes out, which is this, counterfeit me's, counterfeit you's, counterfeit versions of ourselves that come in to kill, steal, and destroy. And let me flesh out some of these. There's the me I pretend to be. You've met people like this. I'm not talking about you now. Let's talk about other people. It's safer. <laughs> this is the classic used car salesman poser, right? It's the person that when you're with them, they're always dropping the names like, I just had lunch with the lieutenant governor. Like you care, okay? But they're constantly name dropping and doing that stuff. Why? To impress you. Why? Because they're a poser. They're pretending to be someone they're not. Um, and pretending, by the way, is really hard work. Think about it. A lot of times after that first date or after that job interview, you're really tired. Why? Well, because there's some pretending involved, isn't there? <laughs> you really want her, really want him to like you. So you're kind of on best behavior. You're not really the real you that first date. Or in a job interview, you want them to know, I'm articulate. I don't get food stuck in my teeth. So, you know, you're just extra conscious, okay? You know, because you don't want to let your guard down. Pretending's hard work. Isn't it better just to be you? Yes, it is, okay? So that's one counterfeit version of us that can come in and rob the me that I pretend to be. Then there's the me that I think I should be. This is when a mom looks over and she sees another mom. The pencil stick, you know, mom who's got three kids. Her house is always immaculate like Martha Stewart. And she's got three passive children who always go, yes, mother. And, you, and you know, the first mom looks over there and does the comparison game and concludes, I should be like her. And, and what is the first mom now thinking? Guilt, I suck. Guilt, I'm not her. You know, comparison, by the way, always kills. And God's not in the comparison game. But there's always the me I think I should be. Pastors do this. I'm convinced that most pastors in the United States want to preach like Andy Stanley and dress like Rob Bell. And it just doesn't work. They need to be themselves, okay? They just need to be themselves and quit comparing because comparing always kills. Um, here's another way it works. In a marriage, you get an outgoing uh, guy who's really good with people, and he marries Solitude Sally, who can get up every morning. She's got the hour quiet time, spending time with Jesus, the pearls of gold from Beth Moore or whatever. You know, she's gone through all 15 pearls, you know, just in the last 13 months. And, and he, feels, he feels condemned because he feels like he should be like her and that his ability to love people somehow just doesn't count. Again, comparison. It's the me I think I should be. Then there's the me that other people want me to be. That's when your mother is like, why don't you call like your sister? You know? Or when your boss, when your boss pulls you aside and, and does the whole, you know, look, with the clients, I just think gregarious, laugh, you know, just I want you to wow them. And you're the introvert. The reason they hired you was to make sure the numbers balanced, okay? And, you know, you're like, I can't be that person, okay? Everybody has an agenda for you. Everybody feels that you should be somebody different than what you are. They're not experts on who you are. God is. God made you to be yourself. And so the me that other people want you to be, that's a counterfeit. Then there's the me that I'm afraid God wants me to be. 
if you're a Christian, this one plays out because we Christians always have the stereotype of the perfect Christian, the perfect Christian, the one who wakes up at four in the morning and prays like John Wesley and reads through the Bible every year and at least wears dorky glasses. That's always part of the parcel. You can't be a Christian unless you have dorky glasses. And, it, and every week they're, they're praying the sinner's prayer with somebody because, you know, the, the really good Christian is winning somebody to Jesus every week. Okay, and we have this picture and we kind of make Christianity and God stuff into this rule uh, performance thing. And that's not what it is. Rules always kill. Rules always bring death. I think Paul said that in one of his letters. Um, in fact, Jesus didn't say this. He didn't say, I have come that they might follow the rules. Think about it. He could have said it, but he didn't. Thank the good Lord, okay? I have come that they might have life, okay? So there's the me that I'm afraid God wants me to be. Don't be afraid of the, God, the person that God wants you to be. It's not really all that, you know, different than who he made you to be. He just wants you to be connected to him regularly. And we're going to talk about that over the next several weeks. Then there's the me that fails to be. And, and for people in this category, uh, in honesty, they've just given up. They really have. They, they feel hopeless. They feel like they've lost any sense of meaning. Um, and we have language for this in our culture. We talk about being in a dead-end job or a dead-end marriage. It's something that's going nowhere, okay? And, and, and so uh, the me that fails to be is another thief or a robber that's coming in to steal what Jesus wants to give you. So in, in light of this passage, in light of what Jesus is saying, I have come that they might have life, and life abundant. I have come that they might have a rich and satisfying life. Let me ask a couple of questions. And this is a question that you might ask of yourself. Am I flourishing or am I withering? Um, am I flourishing or am I withering? And here's some questions related to the text. Who am I following these days? Whose voice do I recognize? Where am I going for shelter at night? Over the next several weeks, what I want you to do is I want you to allow Jesus Christ to be your shepherd. I want you to allow him to lead you to places that will nourish your soul and help you to be the person that God made you to be so that you flourish. That's what I want for you. And so I know you're thinking, well, how do I start? Where do I start? Well, one, if, if you haven't said yes to God's offer of salvation, you've got to be reborn. Rebirth is a necessity. If you're going to be part of the sheep that, that's following Jesus, you need to be, experience it, the, his grace that way. You've got to be a new person. And it's not something you can do on your own. It's something God does in you and for you. And if you want to talk about it, give me a ring this week. We'll talk about what it means. Um, so that's one thing. But for, for the rest of us, a good place to start is assess where you are. Where, where are you? And here's a couple of questions that can further uh, bring clarity to am I, am I flourishing or am I languishing? And, and here are the questions. Am I growing more easily discouraged these days? Am I growing more easily irritated? If the answer is overwhelming yes to those, then you're probably more on the languishing end of the continuum, all right? Um, but don't despair over that. Knowing where you are is a good step in getting someplace else, okay? It's always good to know where you are to go someplace else. The, the third thing that a good place to start is simply make a commitment to spiritual formation 
And here's what I mean by this. Um, when we become a child of God, it's by God's grace. It's a gift. Becoming the person that God made you to be is not about self-improvement. It's not about doing a bunch of things, checking a bunch of things off, and doing work. It's about the same thing that got you saved, allowing God's grace to work in your life and living by grace. It's a grace thing, okay? So that's the caveat I want to make sure that we all know. It's a grace thing, becoming the person that God wants you to be. Um, But there are some practical things, yes, that can help you experience and tune in that grace and go with the flow of God. Um, I would encourage you if, you, if you haven't, start reading the book, The Me I Want to Be by John Ortberg. Um, he'll flesh out this teaching series in greater detail, and you'll have, you might have some more aha moments, and there's some evaluative questions and things in the book that could help. Um, there's an online assessment that you can take. In a week, we're going to start having coffeehouse conversations. Come to the coffeehouse conversation, and we'll talk about and flesh out together what does this mean. Here's why this is important. I believe too many Christians are languishing. They're languishing, they're laboring under false versions of themselves, and they're miserable, and life is miserable, and and God just didn't design it to be lived that way. And uh, I mapped this series out last summer, knowing that I would preach it sometime in 2011. I had no idea that the timing for me personally that it would be, and so my caveat about this series is this. I I know God's speaking to me a lot in this series, and if he speaks to you, that's great. You get to come along for the ride, but, you know, uh, the timing of where my dad is is not lost on me. Um, As people have come in and talked to my dad, the ones who have been brave enough to have said, do you have any advice? Do you know what he says to them consistently? Live! And one word answers when he's only been able to give one word. You know what he says? Live! Live like today's your last day. Live. And you know what he's saying? Flourish. Don't just suck wind. Don't just languish. Don't labor under false versions of yourself. Live. Okay? And so if he were here, that's what he would tell you. He would tell you, flourish. Uh, Jesus came that you might have what? Life. And life abundant. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about very practical things that can help you discover who you are, how you're made, and how to stay connected to God. Both of those things together will help you get you on a pathway to flourish. That's my hope.